The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a two-dimensional wooden sailing ship being attacked by a giant serpent, it's Doctor Who Podshock. Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak, episode 331. This is Louis Trapani, and joining us on this episode, or joining me on this episode, or, or the royal us, <laughs> the royal we, if you like. So, uh, but joining me on this episode, um, once again, across the great pond that we call the Atlantic Ocean, is Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Oh, I'm number one on the ship. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> Good to be here. Number one. So you're William Riker or, um, or, um, um, oh, I just lost her name. Major Barrett. Major Barrett. Yes, Major Barrett <laughs> Randenberry. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I, William. I, I, I was visualizing her face right in front of me and the name just, just escaped me. It's, it's a terrible thing. Short term memory is the first to go. <laughs> well, in this case, long-term memory. This is go- this is what, how many years now? Fifty years um, since she was number one. Since the cage, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, um, so yeah, so wel- welcome, Dave. Good to be here. Good to have you. Also joining us on uh, back on this side of the ocean, we have two respective people joining me on this side of the ocean and um first one up is mr lee shackleford hello lee hi ho hi ho hi ho 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 hi something like i don't know i'm just yeah. making this up as i go along we turned into cab calloway hi 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 ho yes and um and his fellow blues brother Kyle Jones. Hello, hello. I just barely made it. I was under the lake, and then I barely got here before the flood, so I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think for Lee and I, these episode titles are, well, especially before the flood, is going to bring back yeah. some uh, painful memories. Such as a nerve. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that in our review. And if you haven't guessed it yet, we are reviewing episode, the uh, episodes three and four of the 2015 series, which is um, Under the Lake and then um, Before the Flood, respectively, a two-parter. And um, so we'll get to that in a moment. But first, as always, before we do any reviews, I'll have to ask, is there any, and wait for it, 
news to report. I think there may be. I think there may be, too. There might be. Okay, so that was the news. And now let's go. Moving right along. Well, uh, first of all, I some um, well, it, it does. It, it this isn't a live show, so it. Um, I mean, it stands to reason that um, by now you probably figured out if you're listening to this, it's not a live show. So um, that we, because of my schedule, it's hard to schedule the live shows. So the live shows may be half-hazardly um, scheduled for this series of live review. Well, it's not going to be for this series of Doctor Who. Um, when we can do a live show, we'll do it. Otherwise, we'll do studio shows. Otherwise, we won't get them out um, at all. So that's why we're doing a live show. In fact, the I mean, that's why we're doing a studio show right now. And the last live show that was recorded is actually still in, in post-production as we record this. But by the time you listen to this, it would have been already out. So that doesn't really – it has no real – Effect to you because you're listening to this now. It's in you. I'm assuming you already listened to the live show, even though none, no one else, as we record this, has. Wibbly wobbly. Wibbly wobbly, yes. So, and if Beethoven didn't exist, <laughs> he does now. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> somehow, somehow that the, 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 it goes into the theme of this. Uh, episode that we're going to be reviewing but but let's before we get into the episode let's get back to the news <laughs> so um what if any news is there uh, pertaining to doctor who i know um last time we had done the live show we reported that um on um, bbc america they were showing um they were doing breakfast with baker something like that uh i, I don't get it i mean i get it but i don't get it's not like i i get the concept but i don't get the channel so i'm not if forgive me if i'm getting the the, the name wrong but i i believe they, they were showing tom baker episodes on um yeah they Saturday were, mornings. and they, they did it for several weeks let me check and yeah see i, I if think they're, they're not I, th- I think they're, i don't think they are either yeah so i think that that's is somewhat news there that they unfortunately they stopped doing that Okay, well, let's get some a uh, couple of sad items out of the way first. Um, uh, from a news item on Sunday, 11th of October, uh, Derek Ware, uh, actor and stunt arranger, uh, died at the age of 77, born in 1938. Um, he appeared in the very first story, An Unearthly Child, where he doubled for actor Jeremy Young in a fight scene. Um, he was... Um, it's a series uh, ranging a fight between uh, Marco and Tagana, is it, in Marco Polo, uh, and between Ian and Itax, uh, IXTA in the Aztecs. That was a, a rather brilliant fight scene, by the way. Um, so uh, he did an excellent job in choreo- uh, choreographing that because it, it, it portrayed Ian as the, uh, the real action man to the, the more infirm portrayal William Hartner was doing of the Doctor. because William Hartner, as we know now, was only in his mid-50s and obviously he was playing a 700-year-old Doctor, but he was playing him looking like what we would consider a 70-year-old man, I suppose, mid-70s. So um, Ian was there to be the sort of the virile uh, leading man and therefore it was important that that fight scene looked authentic uh, mm-hmm. and he you knows that. And then he was in... Uh, uh, 
various degrees in the chase, myth makers, Dalek's master plan, uh, and he played a Spaniard in The Smugglers. And again, he arranged the fights uh, in the Patrick Troughton story, The Underwater Menace. And I think there was some Underwater Menace news at some point, but I don't know whether... Uh, perhaps I, if I get the other sad news out... And that is um, from Monday the 19th of October. Uh, Neville John uh, Jason, born in 1934, uh, died at the age of 81. He appeared in the uh, 1978 story The Androids of Tara, where he played Prince Reynard in the Key to Time story based upon The Prisoner of Zender and directed by Michael Hayes. He appeared in many TV dramas, including Emergency Ward 10, May Grey, Barlow, uh, The Little Ship, Armchair, Thriller, uh, Goodbye Darling and Scorpio. So, again, and two more sad passings of people connected with Doctor Who. Yeah, it's always sad when we lose, um, you know, um, those that have contributed to the show. And, um, you know, and as we go along, we it's, you know, we, it's just the... Never growing list. You know, there's that. Mm. We, we, the, the list goes on. But Going we, back to what we were um, saying just a minute ago mm-hmm. about, about BBC America, I just looked and Sunday uh, they are playing season 18, episode 21, which began a, another uh, Tom Baker story, which is The Keeper of Tracking. Oh, Trakin, okay. So, the, so they are so resuming they're still doing it. The, the, the breakfast with Break Baker as it is. Okay. Yes, sir. that's great. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I, as far as William Hartnell's doctor goes, um, I'm not sure if we do know how old that incarnation was. Um, you know, I, I think I know uh, by the time we got oh. to the fourth doctor, he had mentioned his age was like 750 midlife or something like that. He was he was saying, but well, and and we also know that. Troughton had a 500-year diary. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't know how old he was, but whenever he regenerated, they showed him with a 500-year yes. diary. Yeah. yeah, Right. It, it might be an assumption on my part. I was, I was assumed he was playing a man in his 70s, but really 700. But, um, oh, he could uh, may, very well be. I'm, I'm just saying that I don't think it was ever clarified, you know. You know, I, you know but we, we can... You know, that's the great thing about uh, Doctor Who is that, you know, we can speculate. What do I know, Lewis? I was only there watching it live. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> well, ask Clara. Clara was there. And she can Clara, and she could clarify it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's where the word comes from. <laughs> Indeed. Wibbly wobbly. All right. Um, any other Doctor Who-related news... I know that there's um, there's always news coming out on the forefront of the on the on the Lego lands of there's um, when I, I don't mean Lego land the, the theme park but I'm talking about the Lego you know those that follow Lego there's um, they're, they're coming out with some Lego play sets for Doctor Who I believe and there's the video game that's um, Dimensions yeah. or something like that Lego Dimensions yes. Yeah. There's, there's an awful lot. There's also um, more information about these con- controversial missing episodes um, on the Sunday 11th. This is on .whonews.net. Um, there was this concern that uh, we still have not got the first appearance of uh, 
well, the brig- I, I call him the Brigadier, but you know what I mean, Lethbridge Stewart, um, and that episode of The Web of Fear was actually found, but then went missing, and the, uh, uh, the Philip Morris um, uh, has, has posted a picture there showing evidentially, evidentially that all those episodes were found and subsequently uh, one critical episode uh, seemed to go missing. Uh, maybe, potentially, possibly, allegedly in the hands of a private um, collector at the moment. Um, so there's still an ongoing, although it's quietened down an awful lot, there's still... You know things bubbling under the surface about that. So yeah, so um, that's, that's very bizarre. So you're saying it was actually found and then lost again? Yes, or, um, like, like stolen or something. I mean, if they found yeah. it, well, 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 when he goes to these places, he's allowed in on the basis that they catalogue and photograph, but they don't touch anything. But I think they were taken somewhere for safekeeping, uh, and in the intervening time when he came back. Uh, and was handed them over after some paperwork, I assume. One of the cans were, went missing, and it, unfortunately it happened to be that episode where a lot of people focused their interests on um, with Lethbridge Stewart making his first appearance because when you watch that story, and of course we've talked about this on, on Podshot the, uh, yeah. uh, when we did those Review. two back-to-back mm-hmm. stories, sure. and... Um, it's a he's a bit ambivalent towards the doctor. There's a little bit of mm-hmm. creepiness in the portrayal, which you don't really get the sense of through just listening to the audio and the screen caps. So it is a very critical episode and may yet still come available. Um so it just stirs the pot a little bit. Um uh and alongside that information also was as well the uh, the fact that the commentaries were to be released for the enemy in the world and the web of fear. The great thing about those two stories of being them, the two following on, that makes it a, a lovely um, sequence of stories to watch. But um, there's information there about uh, on the eve of the second anniversary of their uh, publicised recovery, Phantom Films have announced a special project to provide commentaries for the enemy of the world and the web of fear. Uh, the two returns, season five story starring Patrick Troughton, that were released uh, vanilla on DVD and via iTunes. As you remember, there was a uh, a clamour for them, so they seemed to get basically put out without very much fanfare or extras, just to get them into the hands of the fans. Well, I don't know. I mean, if someone's holding it, I mean, it's be a, a terrible waste just to keep it to themselves. Correct. So correct, a correct, complete correct. version of Web of Fear still has not been released yeti. Yeti. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's yeah, that's well, totally a bon- bon- <laughs> Yeah. We, we'll, well, we'll 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 that those rumors for now. <laughs> All right. Enough of the celestial pun maker. <laughs> Any other um, um, newsy? Reports? Well, there was another. We've talked about it before. Um, the uh, I think it was you that mentioned it. Uh, Perhaps. Yeah. The the downtown time. Uh, 
the real-time pictures announced the DVD release of the spin-off adventure Downtime. Uh, the direct-to-video production originally released in 1995. And uh, I mentioned this because we're back to the Brigadier, Lethbridge Stewart again, mm -hmm. by Nicholas Courtney. Uh, but there's some sort of dispute that's holding that up. And I suggest that we just point our listeners to DoctorWhoNews.net and this story in, in more detail was posted on the uh, Wednesday the 21st of October. Ooh, is, that the story that, is that the story that first introduces his daughter? I know there was like a there was a like a there was a story that was one of these like um, I can't. Well, it's remember. not really official. Doctor yeah, Who, is it? it was it's one of these unofficial think. like spin-off stories that that first introduced um, Lethbridge Stewart's uh, daughter. Which um, I'm just trying to. It might have been that or my. Yeah, yeah, it is. The video was uh, notable for introducing the character of uh, Brigadier daughter Kate Lethbridge Stewart, yes. now a firm favorite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I did see it um, a while ago, yeah. All right. And That's as we all. record this, it is Back to the Future Day. So. Yes, it is. So now, after this week, everything in Back to the Future will be taking place in the past. Actually happen in the past yeah. yeah but so social media has been alive with um back to the future and doctor who crossovers which i have yes. been enjoying yeah. today yeah so that, that, um, time travel stories all iconic image of the delorean crashing into the tardis it's been uh, that was i've fun. seen that a few times right. and uh, a lego dimensions a related thing i guess was that came from from lego um showing a um, doc brown exulting outside the tardis i i don't quite <laughs> i guess you'd have to play the game to sort of get what the way if that's a screen mm -hmm. grab of something but but uh i reposted that image and just commented uh roads where we're going we don't need roads <laughs> there's uh time for texas <laughs> yes um if we're, we if we're just finishing off news with sort of non-doctor who news but related in some way uh just to mention that the first picture today has been released of Jenna Coleman playing Queen Victoria. This is um, an upcoming ITV drama oh, series. Oh, I thought it was from a, an historical right. episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, uh, she's uh, going to be playing uh, the young Queen Victoria, and it's an absolutely uh, uh, brilliant photograph of her in, obviously, uh, costume of the time. And... Uh, it looks as though it's going to be a, an eight-part drama. Um, and I think that will probably not hit our screens until 2016. But the series will open with a 90-minute episode, followed by seven one-hour episodes. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't hurt to mention that we had the official Star Wars uh, trailer released the other night and kind of broke the Internet, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Or at least Fandango so, and other sites. Hmm. What's Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That's that spinoff from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I wish... I, I know everyone's been really um, excited about it, and, I, um, and I, I'm, I've always been a big, huge Star Wars fan, and uh, it just... But I, I will say that... Um, it is being released on um, on December. Well, it's actually being it's 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 December eighteenth. But since it's a 
it, you know, it's like an international midnight showing. So, um, the, so that now theaters are showing it as early as 7 p.m., at least on the Eastern time zone here on the 17th and of December, which um, coincidentally happens to be um, the anniversary of my arrival on this planet, or I should say my birthday. So um, um, I broke down and I actually, I don't tell anyone, I bought, I bought tickets. <laughs> I bought tickets for it. So um, first time um, seeing Star Wars on, uh, on an opening Star Wars um, movie on my birthday, which is going to be very weird because the real Star Wars films have always opened up in May. And this, I say real That's because... Right. This is yeah. as as I mean. Yeah, this the, is now after Disney right. has bought right. Lucasfilm, and they are somewhat artificially c- continuing the story that George Lucas concluded with Return of the Jedi. So, um, but I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of conical stuff, whatever. But it's a different podcast. Yes, different podcast. There you go. But um, so yeah, so that's that's, um, and I'm a little apprehensive with J.J. Abrams at the helm after. Star Trek, so that's um, that's where my apprehension comes in. Ooh, that's a different podcast too. That's a different podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but you know what? All of that happened. <laughs> but I want to be on all of them. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I think that's a that's a date. <laughs> all right. So, um, but getting back to um, time and relative dimensions in space, aka Doctor Who. Uh, I guess uh, we can jump into our review, which, as I said before, we are reviewing episodes, respectively, um, episodes three and four of the new series of 2015 that's Under the Lake, <laughs> and that's the name of the title, and um, and then Before the Flood, which is the conclusion of it. So, But I have to say that I'm really enjoying the the two parters you know that were that we've been privy to so far and and it continues in the next two as well because it's you know it's it's a bit of old school doctor who you know i, I always thought one of the features one of the assets of doctor who was the that um it told stories over it was it, it was serialized you know where uh you had cliffhangers and it, you know it, it gave you something to look forward to the next episode and i that's that was an element of Doctor Who that I always enjoyed, which somewhat got lost when you know when it came back, you know, ten years ago. Um, I mean, we've had some continuing stories and archers and all that, but it's um, it's nothing good like to, this. Yeah, it's good to have two parties, a series of two parties. And to my understanding, this whole series, with an exception of I think two episodes that are independent, um, are mostly two parters. Well, I hope you're right. I hope I'm not going to have a contention with that because. Um, if they were written as two-parters, uh, I think it makes a change to, to have it set up like this. As we all know, there are 12 episodes, so it lends itself quite nicely being split into mm-hmm. six stories. And we probably know that there are budget constraints uh, that help, um, certainly in some cases, uh, where there's a shared, um, you know, uh, building yeah. of sets mm-hmm. and yeah. costumes and yeah. so on. Um, but... Uh, I won't talk about it much now, but going on to the following two stories, uh, I've got a feeling that um, they're, they're more paired stories than yeah. two parters. Yeah, I, and I, can, I agree. I, I can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But this was a, a, a base under siege story. Uh, yes, familiar to all of us fans yes. of the classic series. So, yes. having it as a if it's even though there's only two parts in the serial, that that still felt very uh, very John Pertwee, very Tom Baker. It, so. it did indeed, and um, and I thought the location shooting for um, for episode two of the two parter and before the flood, I'm speaking of that uh, when they go into well, let's before we start the review. Um, okay. <laughs> As always. Oh, yeah, we have to push it out. Sorry, yes. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 So, yeah, so um, if you haven't seen this, these two episodes. Spoilers. <laughs> then why in God's name are you listening to this? Yes. So if you haven't seen these two, you may want to hold off listening to the rest of this podcast until you have, and then uh, you can enjoy it without the fear of spoilers, because anything we say spoilers. after this point could be a spoiler. So, um, spoilers. yes. So keep that in mind. And um, so um, before going forward with the with the story itself, reviewing the story, let's just say it was. Um, Written by Toby Whithouse, who is no stranger to Doctor Who. He's has uh, written for it before, and it's directed by uh, Daniel uh, O'Hara, and um, and of course it stars uh, O'Hara. I think O'Hara. I uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Is that uh, so? It's uh, no, it's O'Hara. It looks yeah. well, O'Hara. O'Hara. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Peter Capaldi's The Twelfth Doctor. Well, your numbers may vary. Peter Capaldi's The Doctor. <laughs> Jenna Coleman playing Clara Oswald. And um, the, the guest cast, we have a, a nice ensemble cast here with um, Colin McFarlane uh, playing um, Moran. Sophie Stone as Cass. Z- um, Zaki Asmol. As- as- Asmol? Ismail, is it? Ismail? I, I, I'm sorry for <laughs> for not doing justice to these names. Playing Lunn and um, Morveen Christie as O'Donnell, uh, Arsha Arsha Ali as Bennett, Stephen Robertson as Perch Perchard, and Paul Kay as Prentice. All right. Yep, they had on originally on the third of October, two thousand fifteen, and. Um, Ended up, I think, with an AI rating of uh, 83. Uh, but the viewing figures, some people were a little bit concerned because uh, the original viewing figures were only 4.38 million. But we had, they are, there has been a lot of sport that's been uh, overriding big uh, live events that have perhaps taken away from the live audience. I think the final uh, consolidated viewing figures for... Um, this natural fact um it was th- it was 3.7 sorry originally and it's now up to 5.83 uh, with an ai rating of 84 and 83 very good yeah so as far as like the ratings go i know there's been a lot of talk and about the ratings but i think um you know 
you know, with today, you know, and you're saying that you know there's a lot of live sporting events going on, and, and as we mentioned in our last show, that I think sometimes people will watch the live show, so they're not, you know, if it's a sporting thing with scores and all that, so that they're they're not going to be, you know, if they, if they're given a choice between time shifting, they're going to time shift a story or something like that, or an episode of maybe Doctor Who or something else, and then watch the sporting event live, so that they're because um, if they find out who wins, you know. Afterwards, if they had done it vice versa, it would be de- detrimental. So, and I think because it's even more deep seated than sorry, interruptly, uh, no, no, more deep seated than that. Uh, that these people would have recorded it, even if they were going to watch it live anyway. So, yeah, uh, if they've only got the ability to record one and watch another uh, consecutively, and not perhaps record two, then it makes sense to do the recording watch the live, and then go back. Where in normal circumstances, if there wasn't a conflict, they would probably be both watching and recording. And see, across the pond, uh, the BBC reports that the first episode of the season broke uh, records as uh, one of the highest debuts for the entire channel ever. So... Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and of course, they were, were messing around with the start times as well. We we had one starting at eight twenty five, eight twenty, different times because of the uh, the new series of uh, you know uh, what you would call Dancing with the Stars, Strictly Come Dancing, mm-hmm. um, which is running about two hours with uh, a lot of contestants on, makes it a little bit late again. So there'll also have been with the fear factor rating of some of these, there'll also be some parents who probably wanted to record it, watch it before they're feeling that their their younger child, and I'm talking about here children under 10, maybe under 8, whether it's suitable viewing for them. And uh, this certainly was one of those episodes where you would think that many parents may have had that concern. Yeah, that's true. So, as Lee had mentioned before, this is uh, one of those classic um, base under siege stories. It's and it's uh, it takes place in a underwater base, and um, it's it did very much have that you know that classic feel of um, you know of, of yesterday of Doctor Who with base you know. Um, it had um, I, I I when I was watching you know the first one, um, which is uh, under the lake. No, yeah, under the lake. You know, I, I I saw like hints of Alien, and, and I think Kyle before we started recording had mentioned that um, the kitchen there looked like um, the the kitchen. It, it looked like the kitchen from Voyager. From Voyager. So Neelix's mm-hmm. um, kitchen. Neelix. Yeah. Neelix's kitchen. So I, I didn't really catch that myself, but now when I watch it again, I'll I'm gonna keep an eye out for that. So I mean I have to I, I'll admit that watching Under the Lake the first time you know maybe because of those elements it just seemed like it seemed like we've seen all this before and it I you know I, again I'm going to review this as a whole you know as two episodes you know as a whole story but if I was to single out that episode you know watching it the first time just that you know before we got to see the conclusion um, I would say that I was a little disappointed with it only because it. Up until that, up until that first episode, it, uh, there wasn't anything that we hadn't seen already before in Doctor Who. I mean, th- there was um, Cold War, w- which was in a submarine, sort of underwater. It was a, sort of another base under siege type of story. Um, you know, so there, 
we've seen ghosts before or, 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 or what appear to be ghosts on Doctor Who. Um, so there was just those little elements alone. It just seemed like we've seen that before. But then as the story concludes and it, um, we see other elements that are more original and more um, engrossing into the story, I thought. Yeah, well, um, a number of things. I mean, the, the episode that came to my mind, uh, well, I, 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 it didn't compare that favourably on first viewing to me uh, with something like Midnight, where the fear factor on that seemed uh, far more escalated and far more uh, uh, claustrophobic and intense. I think uh, as I was watching this, the part one, um, I, I had for almost forgotten that it was part one of a two-parter. So this seemed to be uh, quite a little bit of repetition uh, down the corridors. And um, I did think that some of those corridors looked very similar to the ones that were used in the uh, uh, the Doctor's Wife episode. But um, talking about the base under siege element, uh, it reminded me quite a little bit of... Um, uh, 42, that's the one with, you mm-hmm. know, Burn With yeah. Me. Mm-hmm. And um, especially towards the end of this episode, first episode, where um, they, they're, they're fighting to get to the TARDIS through these bulkheads, which we'll remember in in, um, in Doctor Who was a, a major part of that, where, where Martha's trying to get through all these uh, deadlocked 12 doors from one end to the other, uh, where the TARDIS was... Um, uh, located and um, so 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 it reminded me yeah. a lot about I, that. I, I but saw I those did, elements as well. Yes, mm, I did think um, the the early scenes of the ghosts uh, were excellent. Um, slightly disappointed to see the captain dispatched so quickly because he seemed uh, a very good, had a marvelous acting voice. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, he's an old lag. You know. Uh, Surely the army wouldn't lose prime equipment like this. You haven't been in the army long, son, have you? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, yeah. you know this is a good, good, even though he only had a little screen time. Unfortunately, I think in the the um, the trailer that they'd shown, uh, you already knew that this captain wasn't set for very long as a mortal. Uh, so that was a little bit uh, unfortunate. But I, d- I did think that um, the ensemble cast was good. Well, a little bit. Well, to that point, I, I, I do want to say that the, the the one original idea that I did like to see, that I did enjoy seeing in the first episode, and like was seeing a character that was hearing impaired, and um, you know, a, a a fully fleshed character that was you know a main, you know, part of the a main character, not just a, a sideline character. Played by a great actress. Right. Yeah, which is the first for Doctor mm-hmm. Who, and. Um, Pretty rare just about anywhere. Yeah. But, um, Dave, I think there was some discussion on the Colton <laughs> Collective back and forth. So you, you want to yeah, cue us yeah. in on that? Well, the, the, the pity that some people expressed, um, and Darth, who's been on Podshop 4, was one of the ones doing it, that it was a pity that this opportunity of having a disabled a person with a disability and yet still playing a strong character. Unfortunately, it was, a, and this, these are my words now, it was a little bit like Batman having the right tools for the job. Uh, when you needed somebody to be able to lip read, it, it was slightly disappointing that the first time that was a requirement and a skill needed, you had somebody who had that required skill. 
That's true. Where, that, is a, that is a script convenience, you call that. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's true. It would have almost been better for the diversity of acting talent. Um, mm-hmm. And we've had this before. I mean, um, if we go back to uh, the Cyberman story where we had uh, Warwick Davis, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know a, a person of short stature, that really didn't matter to the script. Um it, 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 it was good that he had that role and that mm-hmm. a statue didn't actually play a part in why he was chosen for it. Um, so in some ways it was a missed opportunity of having that. I mean, are we going to have somebody in a wheelchair and the wheelchair is going to be the important way of escaping because they just so happen to have a wheelchair? Right. I mean, that's the wrong way to do yeah. it. It is. Uh, in some people's minds. Mm-hmm. I love, how, though, however, how, how strong that character is. Um, so uh, I, I think it, the, the, the casting still gets points for that. The mm-hmm. script still gets points yeah, for that. that she's, she's in no way a burden to anyone. She, she is a, a strong and essential member of that, that yes. group. But, yeah, she is conveniently there to read lips, too, which is a little... And see, I, uh, I mentioned to Dave and Ian earlier... Uh, earlier um, I didn't. I didn't pick that up. I didn't. When I was watching that, I did not feel that it was any inconvenience. I thought it was actually kind of cool. And in the sense of when I was watching it, I didn't pay attention to their lips. And I also mentioned I wear hearing aids and I read lips a lot, or to some degree. And even just being submerged, no pun intended, into the story, I didn't really pay that much attention. I just thought of what Lee was saying, she was just a very good character, regardless of whether or not she was deaf or not. She was just a good character. I I would have thought maybe the doctor could have, you know, would have been able to read lips as well, because didn't he make a reference to reading eyebrows (laughs) when he was the third doctor? There was a race that that spoke with eyebrows. But he he said he'd thrown out his brain because he needed to know about semaphore. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but Kyle, in any case, you should totally own uh, saying that you were submerged in this story, because yeah. that's yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> but uh, the 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 thing about the ghosts, I did like. I like the fact that they were um, creative, shall we say? We not only had them coming through walls. And uh, the first time that happens is is rather scary. But then we have one coming up through the wall, and we we actually have one almost walking sideways, and does seem to be affected by gravity. Um, and so there was some really good um, work on that level. Uh, and um, I, I think, in some ways, though, that um, because this particular part of the story had to to last all the way, I'm I'm not too sure. Well, like, I know why. In some ways, it, the, the two halves would have been better balanced, I think, if we'd made the transition to before the flood uh, prior to the ending of this episode. But, of course, the, the thing that I think that as a two-parter was absolutely essential to this was the fabulous cliffhanger of the Doctor being a ghost, submerged, upright, and just uh, slowly spinning round, the look on Clara's face in disbelief and that uh, standout moment uh, was was well-earned and had to be there, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I think it meant for a slightly disproportionate two halves to the story. 
Yeah. Uh, though Agreed. once the doctor said that he, once they got separated and the doctor said he was going back in time, I, I, I somehow, I pieced together what was going to happen, what, what, what we're going to see next and how it was going to end. You know, I mean, that, it, it's not the story's fault or the writing's fault. It just, it just, you know, it just happened to just piece it together. Like, ah, oh, we're going to see, it's going to end with the doctor as a ghost. And sure enough, that's how it ended. So, but, um, uh, but speaking of ghosts, we always seem to have these stories, and I, I don't know, I'm sure it's probably just coincidental, um, in October or around October, just in time for Halloween. So I thought, that, you know, it was kind of fitting, you know, being the time that we're in here, at least um, in this part of the world where we celebrate Halloween, that we're, we have a ghost story. I think um, was it Mummy on the Train, or I think coincided with that. <laughs> mummy on the Train. <laughs> <laughs> mummy on the Orange Extra. That's the one. <laughs> it was a train. I, I thought that's what it was called. Too. <laughs> uh, uh, and and hide. But it has Samuel L. Jackson in it, right? Hyde was one right. as well, where where we had this creature that appeared to be a ghost on the stairs, and it was this one trapped in this um, bubble universe. Yes, uh, yeah. So we have had that link before in some ways. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but I, I know we had said that we're going to review this um, as a whole, but I, I, I do need to point out that episode two, which is, um, you know, titled Before the Flood, is uh, we should make a point saying that it, it, it does start off the the, um, the teaser before the credits has the doctor talking into the camera, speaking about time paradoxes and using Beethoven as an example, and uh, which then leads him into picking up the guitar and playing the guitar, which then leads into the opening credits with the guitar mixed into the opening credits um, theme of the episode. So um, that's something that that um, was special to this to that episode before the flood. Yeah, what would you call that, Lee? This, um, the, the, I mean, apart from breaking the fourth wall, I mean, would you call that a prologue or a? Um, uh, are, are an aside are um, uh, so I'm not sure yes, if he was talking to because if you watch yeah. if you watch the story you know he because when you're first watching it you, you're trying to wondering like well who is he speaking I mean, obviously he's speaking to the audience us but maybe it, within the story he's speaking to um, um, O'Donnell and um, um, what was the other character's name that was with her because they because they both left in the TARDIS together you know um, true that's right so maybe yeah, all you need is a reverse shot of yeah. the two of them, and you'd know who they were talking exactly. to. Who he was talking to. Without it, he's breaking the fourth wall. Exactly. Well, he does. He says uh, um, he talks about the bootstrap um, uh, paradox, and then he says, "Look it up." It's true. Google it. He says, "Google it." Yeah, Google it. So I mean, that, that is definitely breaking the fourth wall. Because we know the doctor's uh, done that before to wish us merry Christmas. I was just going to say that um, Will goes back to William Hartnell with, um, and I think it was um, think. this um, the feast of Steve, feast of Stephen episode. I think, if I recall correctly, is when when he he did it. So it's a, a little homage, maybe to. And I guess. Uh, um, um, not even the sonic screwdriver can get me out of this one. I, th- I think that's... Yeah. That, oh, yes. Yeah. That was an ad lib, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned the second part, let's just mention that that also... Bro- well, that broadcast on the 10th of October at 
this year, of course. Um, and it was that one that had uh, 4.38 million on first viewing and consolidated. That's been 6.05 million. And that had an AI rating just one point lower, 83. And um, I think you've said before, Lewis, haven't you, that any um, AI rating of 80 and above is classed as um, good to excellent. So um, anything in the lower eights is, is is fine and showing um that the, the the quality at least as perceived by uh the 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 public is is definitely up there you know dave i i don't know we always i always do this we're here, we're halfway through the review and you know what i forgot to do we haven't played any clips so um you went through all the trouble of putting together the clips let's play a, at least a few uh, clips here oh and and you never said who you were did you no i did i made sure i said it at the beginning oh <laughs> before it <laughs> now i now i i don't mean i only i say myself first locked up. i i say myself first only so I, I prevent myself from forgetting myself later so i i don't i don't do it for any other reason other than that now that i i have to Introduce myself first. So um, I, I thought you introduced yourself: the dark, yeah. the sword, the forsaken, and the temple. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, later. <laughs> but first, this. Can I go in? What is the uh, radiation count? Pretty much background level. Anything more? It would have shown up in the initial survey twenty years ago. If it's not safe, how come you can go in? How long do you think it's been down here? Oh, there's next to no corrosion. I'm not seeing technology like this. Please don't say on Earth. On Earth before. Maybe it's some kind of experimental craft that got left behind when they abandoned the site. Well, you think the army would just lose a prototype weapon? You're new to the military, aren't you, son? Cass says he might be right. It might have been here since the 1980s when the battle closed. Put the fire out. It was you! You were messing about with the controls on that ship! Miranda, we just saw you. He's. Oh, God. He's a. ghost. Oh, uh, so that, that was the teaser for the first episode. You know, so, um. That was under the lake there. So we that that included the mention there of uh, military. You don't know the military as as Dave had mentioned before. Yeah, I, I think it was good ensemble cast. Um, the the one that immediately stuck in my mind was the uh, the guy who played Pritchard. That's the the thin businessman where the doctor says, mm-hmm. "I know what you are. You're an idiot." Uh, but um, great line, of course. Uh, Stephen Robertson, he's been in some marvellous things. Um, uh, if you've ever watched uh, Luther, he plays a psychotic pair of twins in that, but he's been in awful lots of stuff. Um, Ashes to Ashes, Luther, Parade's End, um, Being Human, Bletchley Circle, uh, Utopia. Uh, quite a lot of those, of course... Uh, you know, sci-fi related, uh, 
play some really creepy characters. Here, of course, he plays the um, the typical person that. Um, it looks expensive. I mean, it looks powerful. You know, basically, it, greed is good. He's, uh, he's playing the corporate man. Yeah. So, um, uh, again, this is where the, the shadows of alien and alien, and alien and Aliens came in with, you know, the, the, having the military and then the, the business aspect of things. And, um, you know, you, even the warning message that the computer said, this message is brought to you by whatever the company name was. The corporate and military, but you know that's that's actually been kind of a meme on Doctor Who since at least the uh, the John Pertwee era too. Mm. A, a lot of the writers, I think, have always yes. felt like there was too much uh, too much business in the military and vice versa. So, uh, one of the nice lines I liked uh, jumping right towards the end, where where the doctors uh, Clara's asking the doctor what will happen now with this, and and the doctor says something like. Uh, Oh, unit will take it into space where it can't do any harm. And I'm thinking, unit got spaceships. What are we talking about? And then, of course, I realised, jumping right back to the very beginning, when we see this underwater base, that looks very much like the Enterprise. I must add, um, the year is um, uh, twenty one nineteen. So you know, we're over a hundred years in the future when this mm-hmm. takes place. Yeah. And then in episode two, uh, before the lake, we go back to 1980. So. Um it was, you know, and, and again, it just it had that feel, you know, the location that, that they they had this um, town that was uh, dressed up. It t- takes place in Scotland, but it was dressed up as a um, as a Russian Russian or yeah. Soviet town that they were doing military exercises, military exercises in. And um, I just I just thought the location shooting of that, the, the look and feel of the buildings that they were in, just it just reminded me very much of the, you know, 1970s Doctor Who. Good yeah. point. At first I thought, hello, they've run out of budget for the same part. But it, it, it made it made complete sense in a way. Um, but that does draw a couple of other issues that I have with the story later on. Um, one of the things that, that threw me slightly in part two was, um, you know, the, this Undertaker... Uh, the alien character uh, seems so different when we met him. He's sort of a, a little timid mm-hmm. creature, you know. You know, do you want to dominate me? Sort of thing. <laughs> it was rather creepy. Um, but of course, from the captain, we realised that the the ghost, well, quote unquote, ghosts, their their personalities didn't reflect in any way what they were when they were alive. Yeah. Um, true. But it, but it did seem rather strange, and um, I, I'm still not convinced about this Fisher King character, played by three different actors, by the way, and I believe the actor physically portraying him, uh, someone who is what seven so, seven foot six tall. Um, yes, yeah. Enormous, like the, the tallest tallest uh, person in the UK, I believe. Yes, um, Neil. Fring, Fring, Fringleton, I think that's the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree. When they had the Fisher King inside, he looked much, much more menacing from the inside view than than he did walking outside. It just took away from the whole stature uh, and complete look of you know how he looked. And but one thing I did find interesting, if we all think back to the trailer that we saw. The way that it looked with with the flood occurring in the trailer looks like 
the Fisher King is causing that when we know now that that was his demise. Yes, yeah. Yes, it looks as though he's either orchestrating it or mm-hmm. uh, uh, basically accepting of it, but it, uh, commanding it. Yeah, it didn't, right. it didn't look as though... In, in some ways, he was dispatched rather cleanly and quickly in the storyline. Is there any significance to his name? I, I, I mean, I know there was a, I think it was a Robin Williams movie called The Fisher King. You know, Jerry Gilliam, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, from yeah. Arthurian legend, and I, I, I thought it was a I thought it was a little bit too religious in choice, but it's actually more Arthurian legend than that. Um, it comes from Celtic mythology, because we're in Wales, and um, there's an awful lot of information about it. Right, but yeah, we the Fisher King of legend has never been a giant uh, skeletal monster. It's, I, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't understand that at all either. But um, um, well, and, and another thing I didn't understand was uh, the Fisher King knew when he was interacting with the Doctor, he had um, he had said that yeah, I, 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 I'm just going to paraphrase here. Cause I, I don't know the exact quote, but so, but but he had known that the Doctor was trapped in his own timeline and. I'm like, well, when the doctor had mentioned it, he wasn't around. How does he know that? You know, and I don't know if that was just a little something maybe I missed, or maybe there's just a um, a, a a hole there in the story that somehow is is apparent that somehow the Fisher King has has this, or maybe something was cut out. Perhaps I don't know. Mm. He read the script. <laughs> he read the script. Yeah, yeah. I think the sword, the sword is integral to the uh, Fisher King. Um, uh, but there's an awful lot. I think I suggest our listeners uh, do a wiki. Yeah, as the doctor says, Google it. Google yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think we come to learn as the story progresses, you know, where uh, we lose O'Donnell and there's this dialogue about, um, you know, bring, you know, that the doctor, you know, refuses to break rules and won't bring her back. And, um, but, you know, m- you know, but will do anything to save Clara and all that. I think this is all foreshadowing, you know, well, I have to say, as we record this, we've already seen the next episode after, which is the girl who died. So I, I, this may be all foreshadowing to what's going to come next in in, um, in, in the next story. Yeah, uh, a couple it's of things I want to mention since we right since we we are jumping out of sequence, and so then I'll keep quiet after I've done this little bit, if I may. Oh. Give the other guys a mm-hmm. chance. Um, but first of all, I think in this we're getting also that sense because it, it, it's no, we don't know when. Clara is leaving, but we know that at some point she will be leaving, and they seem to be setting the scene a little bit for that because uh, Clara's getting a little bit, uh, she's getting a little bit druggy on these adventures. She's getting a little bit hyped up. Where I had, you know, I didn't like her as being the impossible girl. I love Clara as a character, but I didn't like the impossible side. I, I want an ordinary companion travelling with the Doctor, mm-hmm. but here she's almost getting, you know. Uh, she's almost becoming a drug addict in 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 a reference to the fact that you know she's hooked on the excitement and the thrill. Um, uh, she, she says to the doctor, um, you know, we are going back there, and and in fact the doctor actually has to give her a pep talk, saying, you know, I have a duty of care to you, and she's all for getting out the TARDIS and going, and she's she you know she's happy to run down the the corridors as bait and and uh, and and seize it. And almost she's losing that sense of 
self-preservation that you feel wouldn't go amiss. So uh, I think that was one of the things that uh, got me on this. Uh, other things I want to just mention, if I can. Um, we mentioned some of the stories in Dot 2 that this relates to with the... Uh, the uh, the base under siege, but it also reminded me of old classic sci-fi, in particular uh, Quatermass and the Pit, where uh, in this particular case, um, uh, Professor Quatermass, and this is a an old BBC story, the one I'm referring to, which uh, ooh, aired back in 1958, um, uh, was where they're excavating this, for this building. They come across a 10,000-year-old skull, so they hold the building back, and as they're es- uh, ex- excavating this skull, they found below it a metallic object, and that's a spaceship. The conundrum is, of course, that this spaceship must have landed there over 10,000 years ago. Uh, and then there's uh, some very frightening scenes and we get inside it and all electromagnetism affecting it also. So I had real throwbacks to that. Now, I realise that that um, more recent viewers of science fiction may not have even come across that, but um, uh, there was an awful lot of that. And one thing I did want to mention was um, this bootstrap paradox that the, the, the doctor... Mm-hmm is quoted and um have you got that little clip there that um what i was going to reference yeah. was um there's a comedy sci-fi in the uk called it's ended now but you can probably find it online called good night sweetheart where this guy is a time traveler and he finds a way back to the uh, the second world war and basically it is a comedy he he basically um, although he's married in the present day he, he strikes up a friendship with this barmaid uh, whose husband's gone to war and who's subsequently, um, you know, uh, is out of the picture without giving any spoilers away. Um, but uh, they end up having a, a, a child. And uh, in the present day, he finds his own child is now destitute. So... I, you, I so, can, no, go ahead. I'm just saying, I, I can play the clip if you like. Please do, yeah. All right. What are you doing? Writing a song for Phoebe. One kiss, one sigh. Words and music by Benny Bingham. You're ripping it off. Yeah, of course. I'm not a songwriter, am I? So you're stealing someone else's song? No. Look, written in 1946, two years after me. If anyone's nicking it, he is. And what about Benny Bingham's royalties? No. Check with the music publisher. Song never made a penny. Look, I'm not ripping anyone off. Right, so the idea is that... Um, uh, because this song, the, the song will have royalties coming in, so, it, you know, it will change his life. And in the episode itself, uh, the second time he meets his son, his son's a, a well-off man going off to Australia, and he changes his whole life based upon the royalties which presumably this guy invests and so on. But the point is, um, you know, somebody else wrote these songs and... He ends up writing them before the original writer wrote them. So it's the bootstrap who really wrote them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, we, uh, we've seen this in, in 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 countless sci-fi as well. I mean, even I think Red Dwarf had fun with this too. I think one of the characters turned out to be his own father or something like that. So it's well, they did it yeah. with the bo- they invented the bubble wrap, didn't they? The uh, the tension, mm. um, you know, where, where he changed it red and put. Uh, and change the use of bubble wrap to uh, 
you know, to uh, calm people down, <laughs> trying to give it to himself um, as a younger person. Take your boxing gloves off and press <laughs> this. Well, no. So, uh, should we so play guys, another oh, clip oh. from from, um, uh, from the story? Go right. for it. All right. So, um, I don't know. I don't know which one to play. I'm just going to play one at random here. You will be a strong beacon. How many ghosts can I make of you? You know, you've got a lot in common with the Tibolians. You'll both do anything to survive. They'll surrender to anyone. You will hijack other people's souls and turn them into electromagnetic projections. That will to endure. That refusal to ever cease. That's extraordinary. And it makes a fella think, because you know what? If all I have to do to survive is tweak the future a bit, what's stopping me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The ripple effect. Maybe it will mean that the, 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 the universe will be ruled by cats or something in the future. <laughs> but the way I see it, even a ghastly future is better than no future at all. You robbed those people of their deaths. Made them nothing more than a message in a bottle. You violated something more important than time. Bent the rules of life and death. So I putting things straight. Here, now, this is where your story ends. And I think we heard that reference before about people's stories ending. And oh, and, and speaking of uh, being ruled by cats, I think that's a <laughs> Danger Mouse had a. Um, a story uh, about that, uh, the, planet, the planet of the Cats, which was a uh, takeoff on Planet of the Apes. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention as well is this, um, the fact that the TARDIS won't um, decipher those words. Uh, we had that again in the, um, the two-parter, was it the um, Impossible Planet and Satan Pit? Kyle, was it that one? I, I think, yeah, you're right. That, that's what it, what it was. So that's right. The uh, that language is older than the Time Lords. Yeah. So now that I'm thinking about it, so now the so the Doctor comes back into the future via the um, status status field that 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 um, whatever you want to call it that hibernation booth. Um, but now, is there two Tardises now? Because there's one in the future, and then he still had the Tardis in the past. Is it? Well, you do see that in the in the village. You do see the the the, the Doctor's Tardis on the platform, and then he reappears, uh, and you, you do see two Tardis. In yeah, the yeah, no, I, I, yeah, in that scene. But then, but now we're in the future, and there's a mm. Tardis in the base. Is there also another Tardis underwater? Because he, he he left uh, the TARDIS was locked into his timeline, and there should be another TARDIS, I would think. Ooh, plot hole. Okay, or we're leaving that there for the ma- for Missy to find later. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just assuming the kind that who would exploit that. It's... What happens is he plants the the bomb under the dam. Then, because we know the reveal, he climbs into the suspension chamber, mm-hmm. and one assumes that the two—I would assume that the two Tardis then coalesce, or whatever the word would be. 
Uh, I don't know. We don't, we, don't see, we don't see that. <laughs> we don't see that now. I don't know. I think there might be another TARDIS under that water somewhere. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We remember that uh, Stephen Moffat led us uh, astray by thinking that we'd seen a continuity error about um, continuity error about mm-hmm. uh, the Eleventh Doctor's Stop. jacket, mm-hmm. and it oh, turned yeah. out that it was not, in fact, a continuity error. So, so he may be doing it to us again here. That we're well, we'll have to we'll see. I, again, if we, we don't mean to be, if we are spoiling anything, it's unintentional. So, <laughs> just... right? Yeah, exactly. But we'll 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 take it if we. Well, you know, we haven't we haven't talked about this dragon uh, painting on the wall in inside the drum inside the undersea base too, and and we keep seeing that motif throughout the series, including in next week's episode. So, <laughs> well, what do we think about the snakes and the dragons and stuff? The um, what's what's going and, on? Well, all I know is don't put me in red. <laughs> yeah, there does seem to be a Star Trek joke at work here too. Yes. <laughs> But um, I don't know. What, what do you think about all that? It's yeah. I, I must admit, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I think some things are just put there just to to, to uh, get us to rise to the bait somewhat. I mean, I was looking for a triple in that cafeteria. I must admit. <laughs> I'm going to have to connect those dots. You know, it could be, um, it could, again, it could be something that's foreshadowing of what's yet to come. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, they've made uh, reference to Minister of War. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they made reference in, the, in one, I think it was the second part when they're, you know, in this, so yeah, it's the second part. So I'm wondering if that's foreshadowing, again, things to come. Hmm. And we'll probably eventually. Yeah, he asked not to be told about that. We'll probably meet yeah. up with Shirley uh, Basie as well. Uh, <laughs> one of one of the scenes that I, I, I really liked, and I just want to comment on it because I thought it was so well done. Uh, we mentioned about this uh, deaf actress being in it and and her character being deaf. There's a marvelous, marvelous scene to my mind, anyway, where she's walking along the corridor, and there's uh, one of the ghost the captain's ghost. Dragging an axe on the yeah. mm-hmm. on the floor behind her, I thought and that we get these sort well. of sonic oh, waves well. going. Yeah, and to me that was staggeringly good. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought it was well done, well shot, well executed. I thought that was done very well. And speaking of the sonic waves, she did not need any uh, shades to uh, feel that. So that's right. Oh, no, don't start talking about Sonic. I don't like Sonic glasses. You've got old Kyle. I don't like them either. Oh, I'd like to see somebody just break them in half, wouldn't you? I know. Maybe they'll do that on one of the uh, future episodes. Perhaps. We can only hope. I I don't like it at all. But mainly for the practical reason, and Lee will be the expert here to say, how how can the doctor portray all the range of emotions when we can't see his eyes? With his eyebrows. Especially an actor like Peter Capaldi. (laughs) Exactly. The last thing you want to hide on that man is his eyes. So, yeah. (laughs) I I get a feeling the sonic screwdriver will return in probably in a new shape and form. And they'll have... And they can start reselling them again as toys with a new design. 
Because this is still a holdover that's from right. the Eleventh Doctor, right? This design that he's been, you know, That's true. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised by that, frankly, that we didn't immediately get a Twelfth Doctor screwdriver. But but it, but it would have been a bit. Uh, I don't know. That that would have. Uh, I would also have been disappointed if there had been too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. But he had to have a reason. He had to have a reason to lose it, and as we now yes. know, Davros has that. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently always did. Yeah, always did. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll let your mind work with that for a while. <laughs> oh, so um, but it's, now that we're speaking of Davros in the last two stories, I, I just want to make a point. During the live show when we recorded that um, review, I had mentioned about the the prologue. And, um, and yes, there, there were two different ones. Up until that point, I didn't see. There, there was one which is uh, takes place on Karn, which is the one I saw, which um, I, I didn't really... It, it, the other one somehow got past me, and but I did see it because it, um, it, it did eventually catch up on iTunes where there's a, um, like a, a morph to the story that takes place back on Earth in the year 1138, um, and the Doctor's looking to... going around finding a spot to build a well... Anyway, which, I just want to make which a point to me, just That's right. To me, that really... That one wasn't very good. Now, the one on Karn was. Yes. Yeah, but, I, but it, that it, that one just seemed good. a little, you know, contrived. You know, just like it didn't... Yep. It seemed like maybe it was made after the fact and we need to, you know, come up with something where that that, that, Karn, that one on Karn could have been like a cut scene. It just, exactly. It seemed like it was, right. it was woven into the fabric of the story where this other one seemed out of place. Well, you know, I don't like anything that ties us back to Brain of Morbius somehow, yes, too. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. like I thought there's, a, there's an awful... I mean, um, again, I think one of the comments we we had on our live show was the fact that um, some people think that some of these classic references are getting a little bit shoehorned in here. Um, now, there's two arguments for this. There's one, that you totally ignore the classic... Uh, the other is that, you know, you tell the story and these classic references, whether, if you don't spot them, it doesn't detract from the story. And those who are mm-hmm. long-term watchers get that added little frisson uh, from spotting them. Uh, but, but, but you don't need to know it to get them. Uh, for instance, what... Just prior to this, yes, we did some research. It might not seem it, but both Lewis and I, and I'm sure these other guys, uh, just earlier tonight rewatched both episodes. And uh, one of the scenes is where the Doctor's making that dive across before the door's coming down to get to the TARDIS, and I referred mm-hmm. that to being a little bit like 42. When we see them talking through the intercom to each other uh, a little bit partners in crime with the, them talking through the round window but the other oh, thing that, yeah. but mm-hmm. the, the other thing that came to me uh, was when you see Clara looking through the window and the water is coming higher and higher so although she's behind the glass and the water, she's not going underwater it looks as though her face is going underwater it reminded me of I think it's Battlefield with the Seventh Doctor and Ace where she's trapped in this um, um, this water tank the, the one where famously uh, Sylvester McCoy says oh yes in real life I saved uh, Sophie Aldred from uh, from an accident on the set because um, the glass had started to bulge and crack 
and uh, there's all the electric wiring and he got the the technicians to pull her out uh, she ended up with a few cuts and bruises but I think that was in Battlefield where she was um, behind this but where we see Clara there with the water coming up towards her mouth uh, it reminded me of that scene and I'm wondering whether because we all know, don't we, that the producers and directors and writers of Doctor Who are steeped, they're fans themselves. Yeah, of course, yeah. And wherever they can get with these... The point is, and you guys may want to talk about this now, you know, are, are, they, are they forced or do they just enhance your viewing and yeah. if other people don't get them, then it's no loss? I, I think it's no loss. I, I, they, they also mentioned Harold Saxon in this story as well. Um, but right. I, I think it's just Certainly. these Certainly. little crumbs that they place there, and they just add texture. If you hadn't, if you don't know anything about it, it's just added texture. But then, as fans may get more deeper into it and go back and watch stuff from the past, then they can when they rewatch this, it adds another layer of appreciation to it. Like, oh yeah, or, or if you look at the um, the amplifier that that the doctor's playing guitar on, it's Magpie Electronics, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right, so yeah. that's a little reference again. But it doesn't take anything away from the story. It doesn't take you out of the story if you know it or if you don't know it. It's just one of those little. It's just the texture of the story, you know, and. Um, or, or you know, or, or we see the doctor's uh, holographic image on the in the in the um, in the TARDIS, you know, which is a throwback to um, uh, you know parting of the ways with the emergency program, mm-hmm. you know. So it right. just kind of ties and, things together. And you- and, and ten, t- David Tennant and Matt Smith also had recordings too. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure which episode, mm-hmm. but they've yeah. also had those. But yeah, for us, for us fans of the classic series too, we we you know every time the cloister bell chimes, we yes. know how long that's yeah. been going mm-hmm. on, and and things like that. I I I is skipping ahead to the next episode, but um, uh, I keep thinking how much the relationship between the Doctor and Clara is now being written as if it was the Third Doctor and Joe, or much more so the Fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane. It, it's it's almost like we've dug up a, an unproduced script from the seventies and we're mm-hmm. doing it now. And and you know, uh, fans of the the new series who don't know the classic series, they're not going to get that. But I am loving it. I am thoroughly enjoying that. that yeah, I, I yeah, think Dave. I think Dave the Doctors, they they wrote themselves a little bit of a blank check, didn't they, to revisit these things? And the, I, I, I think yes. they're the, the, the not making apology. But um, no. by the way, did you know that um, Magpie? Magpie amplifiers, they go up to 12, not 11. (laughs) (laughs) Very appropriate for this doctor. (laughs) That's right. That's right. They have to outdo them. All 13, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Well, here's a... Don't start that when it's the 12th or the 13th doctor. Exactly, (laughs) yes. We we don't know. We'll we'll get into a war, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to yeah. do you want to play a sort of final clip and then no, we perhaps do our uh, roundup? So Remember, I step outside. You are the smartest person in the room. So, tell me, what's weird about this? I know that it's it's all bonkers, but you know, when you think about it, one thing keeps snagging in your mind. What is it? markings on the inside of the spaceship the markings on the inside of the spaceship yes why i don't think they're just words they're not the magnets magnets how 
well, a localized and manufactured electromagnetic field, to be precise. The dark, the sword, the forsaken, the temple. When we heard the coordinates for the first time, did anyone expect them not to be that? and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock. Hi, this is Lee Shackelford reminding you that Doctor Who Podshock is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible. Just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 150,000 titles. Let me say that again. 150,000 titles titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook in it. And these files play on iPhones, Kindles, iPads, any smartphone. In fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Dr. Who Ponchak, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. You can choose anything at all from that vast library, but we know you'll want to get one of their delicious Doctor Who titles. They're performed for you by actors you know and love, wonderful voices, uh, Tom Baker, Paul McGann, David Tennant, on and on it goes. Try it out for 30 days, and if at the end of that month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So... Let me put it this way, free Doctor Who book, right? So here's how to get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash podjock. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash podjock. Pick your free book. You're going to love it. change the future. You stopped the Fisher King from returning. The Fisher King had been dead for 150 years before we even got here. But once I went back, I became part of events. But here's the thing. The messages my ghost gave, they weren't for you. They were for me. That list. Everyone after you was random. But you being the next name, that's what made me confront the Fisher King. And saying the chamber will open. That was me telling me to get inside and when to set it for. Smart. <laughs> Except that's not why I said them. How do you mean? I programmed my ghost to say them because that's what my ghost had said. And the only reason that I created my ghost hologram in the first place was because I saw it here. I was reverse engineering the narrative. Okay, that's still pretty smart. You do not understand. When did I first have those ideas, Clara? Well, it must have been... Wow. Exactly. Who composed Beethoven's Fifth? Silence well, is falling. Are we each going, to, each going to do a bit of a wrap-up or what? Well, I, I'll give my uh, TARDIS um, rating on, on the whole story. Um, as I said, the, the first one, watching it the first time, the first episode, I, I'm going to give it as a whole, but just uh, if, if that was uh, set aside there, because 
um, I, I, I was a little disappointed with part one, but then after seeing it part two, it brought it all together and, um, and, and raised up the rating. So, um, so overall, I, I probably would give it the whole story, maybe three and a half Tardis groans. Um, I, you know, I, as I said, the, if I was to single out the first one, it would only be two because, um, like I, I said, we just, it, it, it just seemed to come all more, it came, all the pieces seemed to come together or maybe the, the sum of the parts is greater than, or the, the whole is greater than the, the parts or whatever that saying is. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm going to, I'll give it three, out of, three and a half Tardis groans as a whole. I, I thought, um, you know, that, that, um, it was enjoyable. I, I did like the um, the feel of it as far as the you know the the, the whole the whole story as a whole. And I, I sound like I'm repeating myself, and I apologize. But um, but again, I, I, I thought it worked very well together, and um, and and I just like the throwbacks to the, the elements of that I that I thought were reminiscence of Doctor Who's past. Um, there were little tasty morsels there you know it just um it just reminded me of some of the classic feel of episodes um with part two watching watching that as a whole and i'll hand it off to someone mm, else let me, I th- all right let me go next because i want to reverse the my polarity uh, of the neutron uh, polarity. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> but but i really do want to reverse because as i look at it i enjoyed part one much better than i enjoyed part two really i felt part two yeah i felt part two to me seemed a little bit rushed and almost a little predictable i liked the mood of the first one and maybe it was because in the first one you knew you had part two coming you knew that they were setting up for something you knew there was going to be a cliffhanger but on the flip side you knew that you didn't know quite yet. And I think that's what I liked about it. The part two, um, I, d- I didn't like the the caretaker, the undertaker character, even though it was only a small part. I, um, I, I just didn't, I, d- I didn't like the predictability of knowing that he was going to be in the casket thing, knowing that everything was, you know, going to be fine in the end so soon as I figured it out. And uh, for me, I'll still give it the 3.5 overall, but enjoyment-wise, I enjoyed the first episode much more than I did the second. No, so. I, well, I, I can appreciate that. I, I just felt the first one just seemed all like we've seen it all before. And it just, I mean, outside of, you know, having the, the hearing-impaired character, just everything else just like... I've, to me, it just seemed like we've seen this all before, and uh, and then when part two came out, it, that's when things started getting mixed up a bit, and um, you know, and, and having sort of like the doctor in one time and Clara in another, I found to be a little bit more interesting than just being a base under siege type of thing. And see, that's the beauty of this show and of this uh, show here, of not only Doctor Who, but of what we're doing right now. We wind up with the same exact rating, yeah, but we but, come at it completely different. Yeah. So that's, that, that's, that's what's great about this. I, I, I'm going to have to give it, uh, I'm going to call it three and a half, too. And, you know, as much as I, uh, Lewis and I, I think we're really enjoying the, uh, the good old base under siege thing. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I got to bust it for points just for the, um, just for the Fisher King. I, I don't, 
I'm not even sure that was essential to the story, and I just really hate that costume. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's the it's, co- yeah. It, it just seemed uh, it seemed a little contrived and unnecessary. Like, well, I you know I uh, I understand the people that are making Doctor Who now were young when they were watching it. You know, they grew up watching Doctor Who and they found it very scary. And it seems like they go out of their way to always make things scary. Like the Fisher King had to look scary. Why couldn't the Fisher King be uh, yeah. uh, nice looking, you know, and still be evil? That's you know, true. Yeah. It, it's, he he right. could have been the white guardian, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, to me, I see, I discovered Dr. Who when I was a little older, you know, I, I was, I was in my, um, uh, late teens, you know, or, 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 or actually I was, I, I had a paper out, so I was still, I was in my teens or whatever, early teens. And then I mm-hmm. became a real fan of it in, in my later teens. So, um, so I, I, I never found it to be like scary, scary. So uh, to me, I think Dr. Who's can be scary, but it doesn't have to be scary. And I think it, when it is scary, it should just come out of the story and it shouldn't be, shouldn't go out of its way to be scary. It should just the you know it, the, I want good storytelling and good characters and then if something's scary so be it but I don't think it needs to be you know it has to be you know the, the whole scare exactly. factor is to me is unnecessary it's, it's got ghosts in it already for heaven's sake yeah. and one of them is going to turn out to be the doctor that's scary just the, just the idea that his death is out there waiting for him so soon because he looks like that's really scary the Fisher King looks like Skeletor or whatever I don't know just uh, you know right I I, I appeal to Dave if I'm using this expression right, but I, I thought he was a bit naff. Is that right? Am I? <laughs> um, but but still, got to say this about this episode, and, and I, I agree with with Darth skeptical about you know how convenient it is that uh, we have a character there who can read lips when we need somebody to do that. But kudos for writing Cass as a deaf character and to having mm-hmm. Sophie Stone, an actual deaf actress, playing that character. That's. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's just fantastic, and it's and it's a reason to love the episode just for that. But yeah, still got to go three and a half. I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, my, my attitude has changed to this two parter quite a bit with uh, various rewatchings. When I first watched part one, I, I was like Lewis. I was a little bit <clears throat> bored with it. I thought this is not as good as Midnight. Um, and it's it's it, it, I'm thinking it's, it's, it, this is a cheap based on the siege one bottle episode, and so on. But then, actually, when I was watching, I thought actually they they've gone to a heck of a thing with this. There's a heck of a lot of CGI. There's some great events. All right, they're reusing some of the what what I think were TARDIS uh, extra tunnels at one point, and uh, um, the the other the other one was the. Um, the Into the TARDIS one are the, the one where the, the TARDIS is uh, collected by scrap collectors and they go inside mm-hmm. it and um, yeah. uh, and it looks very much like those corridors where they're crossing over and so on. Um, but I thought the ensemble cast was good. I thought the um, the the sets were long, but then then I thought this is dragging out. And of course, I'd forgotten at that point it was the first part of a two-parter. Um, but I did think that that is probably the best cliffhanger we've had forever. Now, some yeah. smart people in the room may have spotted that that was what's going to happen, but I thought the Doctor being revealed as being underwater, uh, turned into a ghost, 
Uh, and I like the way that you, we saw him full length. Some people thought he may have been better close up, but I, I liked the way he was just ethereal in the water there, turning mm-hmm. towards us. I thought that was a fantastic cliffhanger. To the point where by which um, I was almost sorry that he showed the next time uh, trailer after it. I mean, they really should have faded to black at that point and, and not done anything whatsoever. Yeah, not, not, not have the second a, half. Not have a coming next, uh, you know, uh, TV. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the second half, when I first saw it, I thought, well, they've blown the budget, haven't they? I mean, we're now, you know, tents in a village, you know, uh, they've run out of money. <laughs> uh, but of course, like you said, it, uh, it was supposed to be this um, Russian, uh, supposedly Russian site where, where the army could train and we've got the, um, the dam. Um, which again was another model that had to be built. Uh, looked a little bit dambustery to me from the sort of the old black and white film, but it was adequate in the way that it, it got blown up. But the disappointment, and Kyla's referenced it already, that in that underground chamber with his booming voice, uh, this seems somebody to be reckoned with. Uh, once he walked out, even with his great stature into the into the daylight, um, it, it, it just looked like uh, some lumbering giant, and um, there was no real reason for him to have that figure because the ghost with the scare factor, I think it would have worked better. I think I like Lee's idea; it would have been worked better if he'd looked like some beneficent, uh, you know, person. Um, you Mr. know, uh, Mr. Rock at from best. Fantasy Island. Yeah, but somebody who you would almost underestimate yeah. as you know having reasonable intentions uh, uh, and so on. Uh, but the way he was dispatched again, we had been. You could argue that these these trailers and these preludes uh, spoil it because you know uh, my classic one is all the way back to uh, Human Nature, Family of Blood, where. The doctor is left with this, you know, save your girlfriend, who was the nurse, the sister, our saviour companion, which was Martha, you know, and uh, and he had a choice to save one, which was blown completely out of the water because in the blooming next week, the show, both of them are alive. I'm thinking, the fools, you know. Um, but on the other hand, the misdirection here was the fact that it looked as though this alien was commanding the water to perhaps destroy the Doctor and the TARDIS. Not that he himself was being engulfed. So I suppose it can be used in two senses. But I did think that the second one was somewhat of a disappointment. I am feeling that um, this budget has been... No, get me get the other way around. I do think that the way the stories are going has been in some way determined by a better use of the budget, and that's why we're having these two parters. Maybe some stories are going to be linked where they're not reusing the costumes, but in this case, certainly, of course, um, something like two-thirds of the story took place inside the base. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a lot to take. I like the, um, the the character who uh, was very cool. Oh, yes, uh, I've heard of the unit. I know all your things. The doctor turns away and then she squeezes about it. Oh, yeah. To mm-hmm. her really good, but she was trying to keep cool. So there were some very little nice touches. But I did uh, like, like Kyle, I didn't particularly like the Undertaker character. I like Lee. I didn't particularly like the... Um, the Fisher King. So uh, my 
things reversed. I was going to give it something like a two and a three, but I'm now more towards a four for part one and a three for part two. So I think my overall rating is a three and a half, nudging towards a four, because that cliffhanger, to me, was one of the best cliffhangers we've had for a long, long, long time. Uh, A very striking image. And with that, I hand back to Lewis. All right. Well, very good. I think so. Um, three, three, three and a halfs, and one four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Good, but no cigar. Yes. Yeah. Got to agree about that cliffhanger, though, man. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good... I mean, even though I saw it coming, you know, and I, you know, I, I didn't see... It, it's not like I saw it coming from the very beginning, but as soon as it was set up that the Doctor and Clara were separating and uh, he was going back in time, I, I, it just came, you know, it just popped into my head. So, but I, I, yeah. I don't fault the episode for it, but I, I think it was still a, a good cliffhanger episode. All right. Well, we'll, um, you know, in our next episode, we'll be reviewing probably, again, two stories, two episodes, one story, I should say. Well, it might be two. We'll see how it comes at, how it unfolds. Uh, two linked stories, I, for the lack of a better word, The Girl Who Died. Lynch, and yeah. Which um, has the already lived. lived. Yeah. And then the, the woman who had the woman who lived. So we'll be reviewing that next time. Uh, again, we welcome your feedback. If you have feedback about, about this story or any story or anything relating to Doctor Who or Doctor Who Pachak or or anything else we discuss on the show, which sometimes is a lot, uh, feel free to send in your feedback. The number to call is 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206-337-4699, which you can call 24 hours a day or 26 hours a day, depending how many hours a your day has and uh it works just like voicemail and you can leave a message there and um you know and for um potentially be sh- um played on our show uh you could also record your feedback or send an email to you um if you could record it because it is a voice an audio show it would be appreciative you could send it to feedback at net, or you could just simply write an email to feedback at net. again that's net.com and we always enjoy hearing your feedback. So we do have one um, from Blue Box Bill, who's a regular listener, who um, sends us regular feedback. And this is a feedback um, that um, feedback for episode 328 a couple episodes ago. So uh, this is what Blue Box Bill had to say. Hello, Pod Shark. Today's feedback is in response to episode 328, which was devoted primarily to diversity in Doctor Who. Diversity, the state of being diverse, is to show, demonstrate, or embody a great deal of variety. I can't argue with comments made about diversity in episode 328. Wait. I tell a lie, I could argue, but won't. Instead let me time shift this digital discourse to our very first adventure with Doctor Number 4. To the episode entitled, Robot, where the newly regenerated Time Lord and Professor J.P. Kettlewell, creator of what he calls Living Metal, as well as the robot that's featured in the story, are engaged in a rather animated exchange which I hope helps to frame my take on diversity. 
There you are. Yes, I know. I've explained it to them over and over and over again till I'm blue in the face. People never can see what's under their noses above their head. In case you didn't understand what was said, the doctor begins by saying, There you are. Professor Kettlewell says, Yes, you know I've explained it to them over and over and over again till I'm blue in the face. The doctor replies by saying, People never can see what's under their noses and above their head. Diversity in Doctor Who is both under our noses and above our head. It's right under our noses when we view the program. However, off-screen, off-camera, in studios, offices, and anywhere else the creative process manifests itself in the production of the world's longest-running science fiction television program. There too, we find diversity, if I'm not mistaken. All comments about the topic in episode 328 were limited to the on-screen presence of Doctor Who. However in my opinion its diversity runs much deeper and wider than what we see on screen. A few standout examples include Verity Lambert, Waris Hussein, Anthony Coburn, and Elia Derbyshire, all members of the original production team which included a rich mix of talent that wasn't exclusively British. Despite how British the program has always been, women were rarely television producers in Britain at the beginning of Verity Lambert's career. When she was appointed to Doctor Who in 1963, she was BBC Television's youngest and sole female drama producer, director of An Unearthly Child, Waris Hussein, was born in India. Anthony Coburn, writer of An Unearthly Child, was born in Australia. Delia Derbyshire was in her mid-twenties when she recorded one of the most famous and instantly recognizable TV themes ever. On first hearing it, Australian composer, Ron Grainer, was tickled pink. Did I really write this he asked. Most of it, was Delia's reply. Finally, I challenge you to do a Google search for black actors in Doctor Who. Be prepared for very few results, most of which are from 2005 on. My point is that I see the show's on-screen diversity as commensurate with its contemporaries. In other words, in terms of casting, it was in step with the times. However it was well ahead of the diversity curve with character development and the types of roles actors portrayed. But where it really shined, was off-screen. That's all for now, until next time. Keep producing the best Doctor Who podcast out there. Happy travels from Blue Box Bill. Ooh, that was brilliant. Yes, as always, Bill yeah. Box Bill makes a great point there. Very, very nice. Yeah, good points. Um, on the DoctorWhoNews.net site, um, on the Friday the 9th of October, they were mentioning the... Uh, the 50-year anniversary when Verity Lambert left Doctor Who. Uh, um, so, uh, and it mentions there about the BBC youngest sole female drama production. And of course, an adventure in space and time that was uh, such a fabulous uh, uh, retelling, although fictionalised and uh, some people were aggregated together to, to tell the story. But that was great. Her, her final story was Mission to the Unknown, uh, that she took part in. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think back about black actors. Of course, more famously recently, we've had the Danny Pink character. Then uh, I'm thinking back to very strong characters. Uh, the chap uh, who was the legion of Hooverville in New York. Um, uh, so there have been notable, noticeable ones, and there were a few yeah. on Freeman, them. certainly. 
Yeah, indeed. Waters of Mars, there was uh, certainly a, a strong female black actress in that. Um, but it may well be that they've been certainly underrepresented. And ginger people especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uh, very... Still ap- not ginger. Ginger. And it's, his feedback is very apropos for this story that we're reviewing because of Sophie Stone, who's uh, the deaf um, actress who's um, who is in this featured in this story, and very prominently. So kudos to Blue Box Bill. Thank you for that input and um, and insight as well. So much appreciated. Yeah, to terrific. That. Yeah, brilliant. And once again, we want to hear from you. Uh, you could do the same. Uh, feedback at potshock.net or... <laughs> Somebody's bringing feedback. <laughs> we're that, getting was feedback. That, was, that was quick. That was quick. We're here That's answering your calls up. right now. <laughs> Podshock, you're on the air. Are you my mommy? That's right. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's Lewis' sister wanting a sonic screwdriver mending. <laughs> It's that's right. So uh, it's uh, feedback is coming in as we record this. <laughs> All right. So two zero six three three seven four six nine nine is the phone number or feedback at potshock dot net or as always go to gallifreyembassy dot org and um, we want uh, you can uh, there's ways there hit the feedback tab on the top and there was ways there to uh, send us feedback. So until next time, I want to um, thank everyone and thank you for listening, and but also thank our illustrious hosts here once again, Dave, Lee, and Kyle. Uh, you can uh, listen. You can catch Dave and oh, and Ian was unable to join us tonight, but he did send his regards. He was originally going to be on the recording. Um, Ian Bissett, that is. Uh, you can catch uh, Hi, Ian. Ian and Dave regularly on the Coltum Collective, and I believe. Um, Kyle and um, Lee have been on recent shows, if I'm not mistaken. It's true. Oh, yeah. We're growing up in the world. We're getting talent on the show now. <laughs> we, we, even, we even regenerated. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, listeners of Colton Collective for more from them. And, uh, Lee, I don't know if you have anything that you would like to mention other than that. Yeah. All right. It's been cool. on... Collective. That's what enough. You want That's to say? Exactly. Exactly. Once you've exactly. the summit, and the, the pinnacle. And Kyle, anything you would like to uh, um, mention? Well, I'm gonna. I'm going to echo what Lee said. All I right. mean, Coltum Collective. Where else can we go? All right. Well, catch them on Coltum Collective, which they have a live show every Sunday on Talkshoe, and you can. Um, if you don't, if you can't catch it live, you can catch it on your favorite podcast client, and. Um, so until then, um, cheers, everyone. Cheers. 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 You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan run GallifreyMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit ArtTrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. This is Clara, and I'm the Doctor. You're from Unit. Well, if that's what it says. I'm Pritchard. This is Bennett. Oh, Donald. You're really the doctor. I'm a huge fan.
mean, um, you know, nice work. <laughs>